0: to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello and welcome, everybody. Deacon Jacob here. This is Father Mike. And this is two Catholic schmucks talking about stuff. Hey! Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Uh, welcome to another episode, six weeks on with Father
1: Mike. Six weeks on. Is um, that what, since the last one? Last one with you. Well. I know that's what
0: everybody's waiting for. Hey, it's a you joy. You and I, every six weeks.
1: Hey, this is the the dream team, as they say. Happy feast. Happy feast of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I think her name was Goncha. Is it Goncha?
0: Is that her Albanian name?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm still waiting for catholic friends to name their kid goncha (laughs) (laughs) if you're
0: truly a catholic hipster you will take up the challenge let
1: me know when you name your kid goncha
0: i'm in a really awkward position right now the uh, table the end table with this couch is really low and i wanted to not hold the mic yeah now i'm just like bent over the mic so yeah you are crouching i'm gonna sit back on the couch which means you might hear me rustling my papers uh looking at notes but uh, Get comfortable, man. What's,
1: what's good, Father Mike? What is good? God is good. Life is good. I'm riding high because I just went to uh, celebrate the feast with the missionaries of charity and a bunch of people who love them. Uh, some of their friends from the streets of Denver and from the area. We had a uh, pretty sweet, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Cauldron is a very weird word for it, but uh, a <laughs> pot of tamales. Huh. And watermelon. And it was right. fantastic. And then there was this little band that was playing. I think they're out of the Light of the World. Shout out Father Matt Book. And Deacon Donahue, who was uh, singing backup on Barbara Ann. I think <laughs> it was Barbara, ba, 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 Barbara Ann. Ba. That's all we can sing before we get sued for copyright. Barbara Ann. <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah um it was cool. It was a great party. Um, it's just it's just when when you're celebrating and mindful of throughout the day someone who you love dearly, like Mother Teresa. I never met Mother Teresa, but her spirit lives strong in her sisters, and yeah. I've met a number of them. Is there a actual chaplain for the sisters here, or do they just kind of grab priests and say, you're going to come do this for us? I don't know. I'm one of the priests that gets grabbed and, <laughs> you know, um, offers a mass for them occasionally on Saturday morning. Because I just
0: know a lot of guys head over there and do masses for them. And
1: yeah, um, I think it's just a, a collection. Okay. But they might have a particular chaplain, yeah. spiritual director, or something like that. I know they are well loved. Indeed, yeah. Here and around the world. Did you go to India with
0: Father Goble that first?
1: I did not. Trips? You haven't been? No, I haven't okay. been to in India. So none of the India stories from you. None of the India stories from me. I'm trying to think of um, what are some other... You've done plenty
0: with the Missionaries of Charity, though. So
1: I have, yeah. I yeah have had some real wonderful times with them. One time, okay, here's one. <laughs> so I was in when I was in Rome, I would help the sisters, something of a chaplain there. And they have three houses. I would help at the one at Gregorio Magno near the Colosseum. It's also the house with the novices or the postulants. I can't remember. At some early stage of formation, the young women are all... There was like uh, 30, 40 from around the world who were doing formation at the the house there. And um, I would go maybe once or twice a week and um, celebrate a mass there. And I remember there was one point where I had just been kind of counseling. I was friends with, but um, had, had been talking to this um, young priest, fairly newly ordained, who was kind of in a, something of a crisis because he had developed a crush. Mm. And he uh, was—he just didn't know what to do with that and everything. So I told him, "Hey, stay calm. It's cool. (laughs) You'll be all right. You know, this is uh, kind of a good part of our nature—is attraction and romance. Of course, you can't pursue that when you've um, made your—you know—been ordained and made your promises, made your commitment of life." And, uh, but you don't have to be scared as if, you know, like this is going to cause you panic forever. And so, um, just, yeah, be faithful to Christ and he'll guide you through and these, these things pass. Um, so then I go over to the, uh, missionaries and I was, you know, just trying to, I don't don't know what it was, but with the, the postulants there, novices, I preached about, something related of like <laughs> okay girls you're probably gonna at some point you know not fall in love but develop some sort of crush and um i just want you to know you don't have to panic you have to i mean, it was the same kind of advice you know trust jesus god is good um his love always kind of wins through and um you'll be all right whatever so i after mass the sister the superior comes to me and she's oh thank you father mike for that beautiful reverent mass um you're always such a gift to us and all these you know niceties and then she said well you know what i think you know um we have a, a, a stronger need for you at the house in campesino and uh so are, are you willing to go out there for the next few months and go out you know to the house at campesino campesino so i go out to campesino it's all the old ladies. <laughs> she was trying to get rid of me because she didn't like my advice to the young to the young ones, saying it was it was okay to experience that,
0: just don't pursue it. Don't yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't think that was the message they tell them. <laughs> and this young priest, what do I know? I mean, but yeah, that was a, a lesson learned, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know that that's not not wise advice, but it's also you know not. Something everybody has to worry about. So, yeah, I think don't it's plant advice. it in their mind. No,
0: yeah, you don't want to create something that's not there. But at the same time, I uh, I see that with other seminarians, myself, it's like, well, I, I like, I'm, I'm I'm attracted to this person. What am I to do? What am I supposed to do? Am, mm-hmm. I, am I supposed to be here? What's my vocation? No, Crisis. Panic, panic. Oh. It's like, no, that's
1: you're you're yeah. functioning.
0: Don't have to. <laughs> don't don't panic. <laughs> don't hit the rip cord. You're normal. You you have the same attraction as uh, As other guys but don 't preach that to the missionaries uh, don 't preach it to missionaries good thing is i don 't think they listen to our podcast, so well you can you can share i 'm
1: quite sure you 're right about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was in Calcutta in two thousand and twelve oh, and is that right uh, i didn 't know this I was there for Calcutta for like two and a half weeks. We were in India for about a month um, with the servants of Christ Jesus, and I just remember this one sister i can 't remember her name. She's the one that kind of welcomed us to the mother house the the first day we were there, and she's from Texas. She was like, uh, I think she was a an ex college basketball player. So you know the missionaries of charity are typically about four foot five. Nah. So she just towered over nah. everybody, and she just had this like Texas uh, demeanor to her, kind of Texas cowgirl, and uh, so she was the boss. <laughs> <laughs> and, but she was great, and she was just kind of like pointing everybody, here's where you're going, here's your assignment, here's this. And then she pulls um, the the brothers over at the time. They were in their habit. I was in college still. Um, there were four of us uh, kind of college-age kids uh, that had gone with them. And they pull the brothers over, and they just say, you're going to these sites, but your real mission is to all of the other missionaries who come here to have some sort of humanitarian experience, you're a witness to Christ <laughs> by yeah. wearing your habit. Um, they're going to have questions, you know. Be be ready to to witness and minister to them uh, while you're serving the poor at the parish. These a- are the, at the sites. Missionary brothers. These were the missionary sisters. Uh, so no, these were the servants of Christ Jesus that I was with. Oh, in, I see in their habits. Okay. and sure enough, that happened. I mean, we um, we separated. Four of us went to one site. Four of us went to another site. And a lot of the interactions that were really powerful and profound were the, the groups we were serving with. Um, mm. I got to know two guys from Spain that were kind of nominally Catholic, baptized, but... Wanting to serve. Un- ...unpracticing, and were just kind of between studies or something. I can't remember exactly what. And they wanted to go do something good for the world, and everybody's heard of Mother Teresa, so they went to Calcutta. And, nice. Uh, but that, that allowed a, the conversation to happen. I think what what's amazing about... What Mother Teresa did is, I mean, there's some people out there that try and paint her in a bad light, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, she's doing awesome stuff. Like, we can agree on that. Totally. And so she brings people together in this mission field, and that unified mission allows you to actually have a conversation uh, with somebody where kind of the barriers are already down. Yeah. And so they ask, hey, why are you here? It's like, well, you know, Catholic, (laughs) care about this stuff, want to come see Mother Teresa, make a pilgrimage. Uh, do service. Why are you here? Well, we just wanted to do something good for humanity and mother Teresa, you know, does good for humanity. So we'll come. And then, well, are you Catholic? You know, (laughs) are you Christian? Oh, we were baptized. You know, that question hard to bring up otherwise, but there it was kind of free and easy. Totally. And Those guys actually ended up uh, starting to come to mass with us in the morning and, and joining. And they spoke fairly good English and I would speak Spanish back to them some. And, um, We got into mass was all in English with the missionary charity fathers, but there was the Indian English dialect. Oh yeah, and so the Spaniards, after the first mass, they just like came up to me and they're like, "Were they? Was that English?"
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we couldn't.
0: So they could understand us, but like English is a second language. Hearing one of the them, I had similar... Kind of
1: tough. I I was in a foreign environment once, and I was preaching, and they asked the same thing to their pastor. Was that that actually English? Was Was he speaking English? (laughs) So, Uh, yeah. Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize and is well respected as a humanitarian. You know, a a servant of the poor, and uh, you know, such a radical situation with all the leprosy in India, and her her love just on the streets that the missionaries take that fourth vow of um, charity to the poorest of the poor. And I think a lot of people look at them as social workers Mm -hmm. and look at the, the Christian mission to the poor as something of social work. I'm not sure that's not like a value that we share. Like you said, you know, people want to do good for, uh, for those who are suffering and those who are poor, but I think something that can be forgotten is that Mother Teresa and all of her sisters are like very cognizant, very aware at all times that they're serving the poorest, they're serving Jesus mm-hmm. in the poorest of the poor. And they see it as a mission. It is a Christian mission. Yep. Um, that's, that's not to say that they proselytize Mm -hmm. or that they're forcing baptism or Christianity on on the people they serve. But they they know that Jesus can be found in the poor. And Jesus himself said, you know, whatever you do for the least Mm -hmm. of these, you do for me. And so it's a beautiful kind of point of inspiration. We were talking about inspiration. And uh, that just is kind of a reminder that you get outside of your... Self, Get mm-hmm. outside of your crew. Get outside of the Catholic ghetto and serve and love. And that reverence you have for Christ is not only exercised in the church building, but, um, yeah, wherever you can find poverty. Yeah. And that's not just like... Sometimes people think of the poor as, you know, people on the streets or, I don't know, somehow showing up to a food bank or something like that. <laughs> sometimes. But that's like, you know, the the neighbor who's um, just gone through a divorce and they're trying to figure out life and you can, you know, babysit their kids or um, bring some cookies and just (laughs) friendship or whatever, you know. There's poverty of all sorts all around us. So a little call to everybody out there in listener land to love Jesus in the poor, seek Jesus in the poor. You'll find, you know, if you're looking for deepening your love for Christ, deepening your spiritual life, growing in holiness, then service of the poor is, I would say, essential.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's Matthew 25, is what mm. you're quoting.
0: Mm. Um, and so he goes, you know, if you saw me thirsty and gave me drink, uh, or saw a stranger, welcomed me, and they resp- reply to him, uh, when, did we, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Um, king will answer him, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Mm. Um, and Mother Teresa time and again in interviews, they say, how do you keep doing this? How do you keep going out and picking up the, these sick people, these poor people, these lepers? How do you do it? And she just says, every time I go and pick one of them up and look at them, look into their face, I'm looking into the face of Jesus. Mm. And she really believed that. And she had her struggles. She had her darkness, her doubts, her, her you know tests of faith. And to day in day out, she took scripture literally. Yeah, she actually read that. She didn't try and explain that away. Yeah, she it's lived some it. sort of like allegorical. Oh yeah, that's a that's a great sentiment. Jesus, the teacher, he said no. Jesus said, when you did this to one of these little least of my brethren, you did it to me. Yeah, and so that's uh, I was talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago. And we were talking on that topic of like, it's probably a good exercise to read the gospel <laughs> and, and read it literally like under, like wrestle with that. When yeah. Jesus says something, don't try and just explain it away immediately. We're like, what? Wow. What does this really mean? Yeah. And there's really hard things. And so you read the parable of the, or not the parable, but the story of the, the rich young man. Yeah. That's what and I was he just says, thinking of. Go sell everything and give it to the poor and follow me. Yeah, and he went away sad. And we read that okay, that's literal. Jesus really yeah. said that. Is he saying that to everybody? No, he also said to Zacchaeus, "Go, give back what you have stolen, and then give a tenth of everything you have." Yeah. So some were called the tithing. Yeah, yeah. Some were called to the poor. That was a, a homily another friend was sharing. Uh, one of the priests that um, he had heard gave that distinction for that, which I loved. That that was the um, mm. Jesus gives different calls.
1: But you gotta hear it. But you hear you gotta hear it and and you you gotta hear that
0: radical call. And that it's literal.
1: Yeah, I think some people to that point wanna make it, yeah, we should stay detached from things. Well, he said get rid of it. (laughs) He said get rid of it and give it to the poor and come follow me. And that's been the impetus for a lot of saints. You know, Saint Anthony of the desert was Saint Francis. Hears that Um, story, just does it, you know. So if you're yeah, ask yourself Am I called to, you know, respond in that particular way? Can I tell you a um, a story of encounter with the poor? Please. So, Father Sam, uh, we had a staff meeting and staff lunch today at the cathedral, and Father Sam is the rector. Father Sam Moorhead, shout out um, at the cathedral, and he will ask a question, and for the staff, just to kind of get to know each other and maybe help us to ponder. Sort of priorities for the cathedral and life. And today's question was about how have you found Jesus in the poor? And it reminded me of this experience in Craig, where I was first assigned out in the country in Northwest Colorado. And there was a guy who I met in jail when I first got there. I went to the jail and met some Catholics there. and um, this guy, he was a real simple, simple fellow. He had smoked so much meth over the years that he just wasn't there anymore, and uh, didn't have no teeth, and was just kind of pathetic in the poor, poor sense. But a real nice guy, and he was very friendly to me. He would write um, a letter to me occasionally. And he would include all these Bible verses. And it was basically just a list, a long list of his favorite (laughs) Bible verses. And he would draw these like vines around the outside of the page. And um, so he gets out of jail uh, maybe six months, you know, after I was there. And during his time in jail, his dad died. And his dad was like his closest, you know, friend and um, just family member. Last one left. And he was so close that he wanted me to go... To the cemetery with him and pray for his dad and so we went up there and he brought me to the grave he tells me some stories about his dad and then we kind of walked the cemetery and he told me about all these different people that he um, were kind of neighbors and characters in town it's a smaller town and um when he was a kid and he always spoke with such great admiration and mm. love and joy and um and then he's asked if we could go up there regularly. So on Fridays, I would go with Bernie up to the, um, up to the cemetery. But there, was, there were occasions when I was busy with something or something came up or I just wasn't thinking about it. And he would call me and he'd say, hey, we got to get to the cemetery. And I'd be like, I don't know if I can do it. I'm doing something, Bernie. I don't know. And he would get real strong with me. And he <laughs> would say, you have terrible priorities, Father Michael Lawrence. <laughs> you need to get back up there. You need to figure it out and put, the, put your priorities straight. you got to focus on the important things. The important things are the dead people. you got to go and serve the dead people. We're going because it's the most important thing in the world and i was like i was like well yeah 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 <laughs> but i that showed up in my prayer over and over and over that the priority for the priest is the dead people and of course that meant more than just like they've they've passed from this life that's important it really is like pray for mm-hmm. the souls in purgatory it's a work of mercy in some way they're imprisoned you know yeah. imprisoned in in purgatory of sort of um, reconciling with life and amends and all this stuff. And just the the reality of death, you know, that's, you're kind of, maybe you're sleeping in peace or restlessness. If it's a restlessness, there's kind of an imprisonment. But it was really about um, the important, the most important thing for a priest is um, to serve people whose souls are in jeopardy or, or are dead, know people who have lost their soul or lost their way and that spiritual death is so terribly important that it's it's really reminded me throughout the years the it's the the poor or no the the dead are the ones who need you most and it's the living who are the ones that are going to ask the most of you hmm. so you could spend all of the priesthood in Father, can you come over to our house? We want to you know, host you for dinner. It's a beautiful thing, but there are times when we can be tempted just to spend you know, all of our time with people who are healthy and yeah. then neglect, you know, you're a doctor of souls, well, that's the, but the you're dealing with scripture. all the healthy all the time. I've come for the sick. Yeah, I've come for the sick. I've come for the dead, and there's you know, life to be had and yeah. resurrection and miracles that are the privilege of the priestly life. But I like about that story, transition to So topic. he's a prophet. Okay. He was you know this, exact this guy um, with no teeth, <laughs> who I came to love, he, um, and who, who loved me, he was, a, he was a good friend to me, so I don't want to make it like my wow look at me or something. Yeah. but um, they can he was Jesus to me. Mm. He spoke with the voice of God and in a way that I think was one of the most valuable things that I learned. After nine years of seminary, I learned a lot, but that was maybe as profound as anything I learned in seminary. Yeah, that he was a prophet, and prophet to you. Um,
0: the prophets aren't, strictly speaking, uh, future tellers. There's future prophecy. There's a prophetic spirit that does that. But to be a prophet is to speak the Word of God, mm-hmm. to interpret what God is doing in the world. Uh, to see with the eyes of God. And so he did that for you. Yeah. And so not all prophets are for the world. Some prophets are for individual people working yeah. in the prophetic spirit because God's working in all of that. So from a, a little a little work, I've got a quote here. It says, but the works of God are perfect. It is written in the canticle of Moses. They are so well done that God himself, whose judgment is strict and righteous, found that he had created them, that they found when he had created them that they were good and very good. It is quite obvious that he who hath founded the earth by wisdom and hath established the heavens by understanding could not show less perfection in governing his work than in creating them. So as he is careful to remind us, if his providence continues to have care of all things, it is in measure and number and weight. It is with justice and mercy. Neither can any, any man say to him, why dost thou so? Mm. Uh, is from a little book um abandonment to divine pro- or trustful surrender to a divine providence. Beautiful. Um and I've been reflecting on just providence and the abandonment to God's will. Mm. Um total surrender, however you want to yeah, phrase there's it. Different the, saints, the, the saints write of this. There's devotions. I've got two here um that you know have been Circulating here in Denver And I'm sure around But the The Litany of Trust Written by the, yeah. the Sisters of Life And then The um, Surrender Novena Has been going around For a while
1: um, And so there's this Is that a Like a local Trend Or Is that a national thing the surrender, I've seen this Yeah Particular yeah, the card here, He's Venus showing me This particular card France.
0: I don't know where I, I started getting this Full of Grace USA Is the one who's Kind of prints okay. these And distributes them But Um I'm sure a lot of people have come across it. It's Father Delindo Rutolo, who was uh, a friend of, I believe, Padre Pio. Oh, yeah,
1: that's what I've heard, too. um,
0: In Italy, uh, kind of a a miracle worker in his time as well. So he wrote this litany, or the surrender novena, in just nine days. And there's some beautiful lines in there we can maybe bring out later. But uh, the litany of trust is just like praying through the difficulties that the sisters see, people you know, um, going through and from, um, that you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me, Jesus, I trust in you, you know, against the, the,
1: that's the refrain, Jesus, I
0: trust in you. So it's deliver me Jesus. And then Jesus, I trust in you. Mm. So the first one's from the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me Jesus from, Mm. so all these kind of like negative lies that we tell, um, deliver us. And then other things like that, you are continually holding me, sustaining me, loving me, Jesus. I trust in you. So yeah. then, affirming kind of the positive, beautiful. Um, so the sisters' of life have these, and I've, I've been, you know, these get handed out all the time. So that's been a kind of a mode and a movement, and I I'm very receptive to it. I I like it, and I I think of a couple scripture verses, um, Exodus fourteen fourteen, um, which is. Uh, be not be still and know that I am the Lord, but um, got it right here. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be still. Exodus fourteen fourteen. That's right. And then
1: Psalm forty six. They're on the brink of the Red Sea. Yep. And they're wondering like, how is this even supposed to? They got the big army coming after you, and you're back to the sea. How is this supposed to work mm-hmm. out? How can we trust in God? And then Psalm
0: 46.10 is the classic, be still and know that I am God phrase, which again is in this, this time of battle, this time of just distress and fear. And the psalm psalmist writes from God, be still and know that I am God. Oh, I love that. I'll be the one battles you. So there's these two, right? But then I'm wrestling with, well, how do we do that while also listening to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.24? run so as to win the race oh, yeah. when he's talking about, look at what all these athletes will do. He's writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians are, you know, they love their sports. And they love going to the, the arena and watching the Olympic games type of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, look at how much we, we acclaim these athletes who work every day Day in and day out to yeah, be the to best. To win the prize. To win to the win prize, which fades. The laurel, the wreath, the crown that will shrivel up and fall apart. And what, what? A, knowing our end in heaven, would we not seek it more, run more? And so I love that image of the daily diligence. I remember playing baseball, playing soccer. Like the day in, day out, little bit of practice. Yeah. Allowed me to play the game without thinking.
1: Oh yeah. Because that's
0: like the virtues, right? And so the, the little the, the drills of baseball, the three steps into how to proper fielding position that you just do on repeat so your body just knows them. And then when I'm in the game, and I don't have to think. And I was actually better when I wasn't thinking because yeah. the habit had been built. The balls hit and I react. yeah. And so there's a certain training, training the virtues. Uh, that's the human formation that we, we do. So that as I train and drill on these virtues, when the balls hit to me in the spiritual life, I just react. Yeah.
1: And it becomes instinct habit.
0: Yeah. And, and you play better. You honestly play better. You're you're in the groove state. You know, a lot of psychologists or gurus now talking about a groove state, you know? Um, but I feel that sometimes like when I play golf, uh, if I'm thinking about what I'm going to do, I just make terrible swings. But if I just kind of like feel the swing and play and it's like, Oh, I'm playing pretty well. Um, I so. love
1: it. I love it. That's, that's right. It's like, um, there's a lot of fear that you'll encounter with various trials in the spiritual life or just life. And the be still isn't, isn't just, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's often predicated on I'm fostering these, you know, d- uh, disciplines and it takes away the, the panic. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times the panic is still there until you're like reminded. So you got to, I don't know, step on the field, (laughs) start the game. I guess maybe, yeah, that's like, um, it's motivation to not cower from actually putting yourself in a position of, I don't know, responsibility or, you know, stepping out to evangelize or, you know, to preach something real in the, um, in the, in the church from the pulpit to take a risk this way or that, and and just to do your job, you yeah. know, to do your job without. So you do connect those 2 You're mm-hmm. not saying like, there's times, there's seasons for be still, and seasons for run hard. But you're saying if you're if you're running and doing the due diligence, then you can yeah. have that relax and trust in God. What I kind of came
0: to because at first I was thinking I was like, how do I how do I both of these attract me. How do I yeah, fit them together? The they, seem, they seem contradictory, but uh, as I pondered it, I've been pondering it all day, I don't think they are. And it's kind of, I've already given you the solution <laughs> a little bit with my sharing, but um, I think one's a little more dispositional. So the, the stillness, be still, mm. know that I am God. Um, I will fight your battle for you. You have only to be still. Mm. Uh, is more of a dispositional position. Um, it 's more of a receptive reactionary position. Uh, we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as um, given to us, which dispose us uh, to act mm. when the Holy Spirit moves so these gifts of wisdom, counsel understanding, piety, knowledge, fear of the lord um, they they dispose us to god 's action in us through the Holy Spirit mm. right. And so, that's um, that's kind of what I think is more like when I'm on the field, I'm disposed to react yeah. because I've received and I've trained, and now it's like um, equivalent. The, the ball's hit, and I've got to react. I've got to you know make the play. Well. the the ball being hit in this situation is like the Holy Spirit's inspiration comes Mm. and now you react and it's not like, Oh, should I go talk to that person? Should I go give this? Should I get rid of that? Should I sell this and give it to the poor? Should I, should I preach this? You're not necessarily pondering over and over for an extended period of time. The, the ball's been put in play and Mm. you react and you're disposed to react. well. Yeah. Uh, But that's happening. Principally because of the action of God, but also because of the habits that you've built up. And so I think Paul is proclaiming this is while, while God is first. That he, elsewise, he says, any of these things without love is a sounding resounding gong. Mm. And so love, Holy Spirit, charity in your heart, that's the first mode. And we must receive that and then live out of that for anything to mean anything. So Paul's... You know, he's got a bigger theology than any one verse you pull out. Um, But here, I think he's really saying, like, no, you do, every day, work. Work. Work as I did, as I was an example to you. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I worked and showed you how. Um, So to establish with diligence these habits through doing the drills every day, which is the discipline of um, waking up and making your morning offering and for us doing the liturgy of the hours every day or whatever – your things might be uh, in your life. Yeah, prayer, service. It it builds, yeah, where where do you give, where alms, where do you fast, where do you acknowledge, I think more than anything, more than finding crosses to pick up, where do you acknowledge the cross that's been given you Mm -hmm. and then pick it up as a joint penitential act with Christ carrying the cross? Um, And as we do these, small increments, small growths. I was talking to one of the other seminarians, he read the uh, book Atomic Habits, and he was pretty convicted by it. I think I, ta- I might've talked to you about Is that it.
1: the one with like little steps?
0: Yeah. So it's the whole idea of, um, one degree oh, right. of, of, uh, one degree off over a long period will get you somewhere else. So if you're trying to fly to New York from LA, but you start one degree off, you're going to end up in like Georgia or Florida or yeah, something yeah, yeah. over that time. And so the, the small degrees, the little atomic habits, mm. um, are what we need to build day in, day out with the proper end in mind. And so Paul's saying, what you know your end. Your end isn't the wreath that the the crown that withers, but the crown of heaven. Yeah. And so if you know your end, you don't want to be one, two, three degrees off and then miss heaven. So in the small ways every day you're you're reminding yourself what your goal is, what your end is, what you're yeah. really living for, why you're why you're striving. And as and you build these habits, now later on, I'm in this receptive disposition to just react, respond, and move. But I'm ready. (laughs) I think the the danger is to think that it's on me to dispose myself to read one Corinthians nine and say, okay, it's all on me to make sure I'm all ready. I've got everything in order and I've got I can control everything because now I've I've prepared for every possible curveball that could come. That's right, yeah. And, and I am, I've made myself so strong. I've hit the spiritual gym so consistently and so regularly that I will be the one who conquers and wins the yeah. championship. It's like, no, that's false. Because even before that, God is the beginning. God's the Alpha and the Omega. God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He called you. He predestined you. And in that movement... You live and have your being. Yeah. Um, so we got to kind of get it right. It is God first, and then our response. And then in that dynamic interplay, we enter into this place where I think we, we have the spiritual maturity that actually acknowledges God's providence in all things, mm. uh, where I can now respond
1: without excessive anxiety or distrust. So, yeah. Well, the two um, thoughts I have one, is that Israel, with their back to the sea, you know, oh, just be still, and I will fight your battles for you. God opens the sea; they go through um, this great song, horse and chariot. He is cast into the sea. Um, God is triumphant, mm-hmm. and and then, of course, on the other side, they have to keep trusting, they have to mm-hmm. keep choosing, they have to keep walking forward in the desert for forty years, and but I think having had that experience of the power of God and the memory of salvation, the memory of God's victory. And then the other one, I, cause I can get, I'm not very um, disciplined or I struggle <laughs> with discipline. I should, that's shouldn't us, say yeah, that. Yeah, I, I mean, think at a, you're always kind of judging yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would, I think probably from the outside, people would say, yeah, <laughs> you are disciplined. Don't say that you're not. And that's true actually, but it's, you know, dispositionally it's, character wise it's harder for me and that kind of unruly character um poses this this problem of self judgment that is i'm not sure i'm doing the right things or i'm not sure i'm making any progress in spiritual fitness mm-hmm. but then one verse that i love and i love to remind people of especially in the confessional is God pours out his gifts on his beloved while they slumber. Mm. It's like, there's times when you're making progress and you have no idea, and that's God's grace. And that's kind of the be still, but it's not just be calm. It's just know that God is at work. And that's how sanctifying grace works. Mm -hmm. You stay close to remain in me and you will bear much fruit. That's such a passive image that Jesus uses. I'm the vine, you're the branch. So sit there. <laughs> yeah. Sit there with me, you know. Don't remove yourself, but be still, you know, and just receive. And I think there's a risk or temptation
0: to say to be still is to be passive, mm, right? And there's a passio, there's a passiveness to God's work in your life, um, but there's um, an active reception, you know, to choose to be still, yeah, to choose to receive to not run to your own initiative, to not try and be the, the tree, but to be the branch, to remain in him. Mm. Um, to remain is is an action. I choose to remain in you rather than to totally. flee either to my idea or away from it, whatever it might be. Uh, flee to my control or away from the danger, but to remain, to remain in. And so I look at Mary. I'm sure we've talked about this before, mentioned it, you know, the receptivity of Mary mm-hmm. is not... A passive reception of like okay I guess whatever God you're doing it anyway
1: (laughs) yeah I'll just do my thing no the fiat was an active you must
0: be doing Uh, you know Father John just gave us uh, we're in our Mariology class with Father John he just gave us his big like you know 3,000 foot schema overview Mm. of it but he talks about how the fiat is an active reception that the fiat says yes let it be done unto me according to your will I move to receive and so there's a there's a dance to it. There's a, yeah. Um, it's not. It's not just this passiveness. And I think the same thing with God's providence. An abandonment and a surrender to His providence is not a a passive, just like lay down. Uh, and it's not a quietism. Yeah, it's a choice. You got to be there. Mm-hmm. You got to be open. You got to receive. Well, that made me think of Day Six of the Surrender Novena, which I'll read now. It says you are sleepless. You want to judge everything, direct everything, and see to everything, and you surrender to human strengths, or worse, to men themselves, trusting their intervention. This is what hinders my word and my views. Oh, how much I wish from you this surrender, to help you, and how I suffer when I see you so agitated. Satan tries to do exactly this, to agitate you and remove you from my protection and to throw you into the jaws of human initiative. So trust only in me, rest in me, surrender to me in everything. I love that line of Satan tries to throw you into the jaws of human initiative. And here we're going back to Mother Teresa. When we take Mother Teresa as purely a social worker, it's nothing but human initiative. And that's actually, how could that have sustained for so long? I mean, I've worked at homeless shelters and I talked to some of these caseworkers and they don't make it very long Mm. when it's just a, I want to do good for humanity type of casework. Not a lot of them make it very long. The endurance Mm. when it's just a humanism. Yeah. You see a lot, it's it's fatiguing, it's tiring, it's, I can do this for a time
1: and then I've got to go find something else. Or you set out with like idealism. You know, know. I'm going to do these, I'm, I'm going to feel like a savior yeah. or everybody's like going to be grateful. Or every, or we're going to solve poverty. Yeah. We're right. every, nobody's going to be poor.
0: Everybody's going to be off addictions. Everybody's going to be happy, healthy, and whole. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and then you hit the mess of it. But Mother Teresa is able to continue and her sisters are able to continue because they're seeing Christ in the poorest of the poor at every time mm. with His endurance, not trusting in human initiative, yeah. but trusting in divine initiative.
1: I feel like I often, I look at my parish downtown and I get frustrated by the, the thought of there's all these people out there who just don't care and about God, that is, and um, don't know the source of God, de- de- despise religion for no reason, just mindlessly and without experience. And I'm like, well, what are we doing? we got to do and i'm i'm like frustrated We're like well, okay my parishioners we got to get out there and fix everything we got to go convert everybody mm-hmm. what are we doing and it's like well i'm i have this kind of false expectation and this false like hope in my people i don't think there's anything wrong about zeal for souls and desire for evangelization but there is something that's true that is Accepting when God brings it to us rather than I've figured out a way to fix yeah. everything. I've figured out a way to conquer this problem. I've figured out a way to convert the whole neighborhood. And I think creativity and initiative are like super important. That's why it mm-hmm. bothers me. And it bothers me when I'm not like coming up with ideas <laughs> or doing something, you know. But there's some, there's definitely something real in that. It's like I can't. I, there's something uh, something false about pretending that I, it's up to me or it's yeah. up to my parishioners rather than it's up to God. This really is in your hands, Jesus, and you better figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> when to think of the
0: thousands of years of salvation history, mm. the thousands of years before Christ, the 2,000 years after Christ, and to think that me in this moment, solo, alone, with my initiatives and my ideas is that important. <laughs> yeah. It's important. Why is it important? Because God's working and God's in each and one, every one of us. Or that it's going to satisfy my expectations. But is it, is it going to be the end? No, it's a participation. Mm. And so I, that's the tension that... Um, this question I've been pondering of, of how do I how do I be still and how do I run so as to win. Um, I, I think there's a tension there we need to appreciate, and I love that you brought in the very beginning um, the uh, the calling because God calls each of us to something, mm. and are we going to listen to that call or are we going to say no 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 no? This is my call. Here's where I'm actually supposed to go. Yeah. Here's what I'm actually supposed to do. I don't know when to hear your call. I've got a better initiative. What I
1: want, what I think, and and that's like, ooh, I don't know about that. And so, now can I ask you on, on the day to day? How do you? I, this is the the problem I run into is, well, I do have a problem with trust and surrender and everything. But discerning the will of God, like how do I know? <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it's a lot the choice is a lot more um, a, what uh, available if it's apparent. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time, a lot of the time, knowing God, what is your will for me right now, today? Yeah. And I mean, there's a given that is be responsible to your priestly vocation that I think is always there. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful for that. And I think, in large part, that's fairly straightforward. You know, go to answer your emails with <laughs> generosity and respect and, um, recognize that this is, this is God's will, that yeah. this is, you know, not, maybe not my favorite part of the job. In fact, it's the worst, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but so don't email that's us fidelity. the Catholic stuff. <laughs> oh, Um, they already know. They already know <laughs> that I struggle with emails, but, um, yeah, that kind of question of maybe in the the other things or the more or the what's next, it's can be really difficult for me to know, you know, what what I should surrender to yeah. you know, other than just this general God I surrender mm-hmm. to you, which I think is a good prayer and is like a a general and broad attitude, disposition, like you say. Yeah. But then, yeah, how do you know? Do you have any well, I have, Pointer, a, uh, I, have, I
0: have a wonderfully frustrating answer in the form of not having an answer. Yay! <laughs> I don't know um, if that's a f- even a fair <laughs> question to expect. But... Brilliant response to what, what I'm thinking of is one of the other things I've been really convicted of in the last year and a half, two years, of that phrase. Take. I mean, we just had this reading. Uh, take up your cross and follow me. Unless you take up your cross and follow me. Mm. And it's just the way it's said, and especially since it's to Peter, who's going to be told later. Uh, right now, you go wherever you will and do what you what you mm-hmm. want, but it will come a time where you will go where you're led, and people will dress you. And yeah. there's like there's a certain history in our lives where Peter's kind of on his own initiative and he's kind of going and doing, but then he as the more he's conformed to Christ, the more he's led into mm-hmm. where he doesn't want to go. To a death. He doesn't want to die. Um, and I think. And probably some stuff
1: that's great. And what well, there's you look great. Look at Acts in there, of the Apostles, yeah. first half. Yeah. Peter really enjoying his. <laughs> I mean, he's persecuted, but awesome things are happening to him along the way. Mm-hmm. And he's inspired by the Holy Spirit yeah. to, like, with joy to proclaim the gospel. Sorry if I made it
0: sound negative. Like, oh, no no, 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 not I, negative, I, I, but, but I appreciate it. I appreciate there's, appreciate both. there's always
1: both. Um, but there's an element
0: of, of he's going to be led into it. And Mm that might not be now in your life. Um, We are in a history. Mm. And with the take up your cross, I think so often we want to go find a cross. We want to go choose a cross. Mm. We want to go to Diagon Alley of Cross World and and pick our cross out of the cross store. Yeah. Oh, the cross chose me. I said, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, But like, yeah. but there's an element of um, that's a mixed metaphor. We could probably cut that one out. But it's like um, <laughs> wouldn't. But it's like I want to go branches. shop. I want to go find my cross. This cross sounds more exciting. This cross seems more glamorous and glorious. And oh, this cross will win me more praise from people when they're reading mm. my saint biography in in fifty years. I'd rather have them reading about this cross than the one that's given to me. Yeah. And or so, just see
1: me today and say, "Oh, <laughs>
0: what a cross-bearer. <laughs> and so to your point of just bearing your your vocation well. Even going back to our beginning, it's like, "Yeah, okay, I'm I attracted. I have a crush on this woman. Well, what have what have I promised? What have I given? Where is my heart? What a, and there's a fidelity to that that is a cross. Um that is God's will."
1: Yeah, fidelity. Like, I think fidelity in a lot of things can be a cross. Like if I, if I'm after ordination, I walk
0: down to, you know, Harvard Gulch Park and I see some beautiful girl playing frisbee and I'm like, I'm in love. I'm, I, that's definitely <laughs> God's, it's the frisbee. It's definitely it's God's frisbee, will man. that I go flirt with her now. That's not God's will. <laughs> Why? Because I'm living the vocation of a deacon who will be a priest who's promised a celibacy for the kingdom. So therefore, it's clearly not God's will. That's a big. That's easy, right? Right. But in your in your day, in your what are you choosing? Your emails. Yeah. Um, liturgy not, the hours. Not you. Liturgy a, the hours for us. Across at times. Uh, marriage. Um, your God's will is your your wife, your kids, your husband. Mm-hmm. It's not. Oh man, marriage is really hard. I don't really. I'm not attracted to this anymore. But man, that you know, fleeing my family and doing this whole new career shift, and yeah. that seems really attractive. I think that's God's will for me, because that's i I'm what, supposed to be a missionary of charity. That's yeah, where I'm I feel like I'm supposed to be happy. Or, yeah, the thing of, like, man, I, I wasn't supposed to be married. I was actually supposed to be in the church. And it's like, yeah. no, you're, you're married, so that's God's will for you now. Whatever came before that, you entered into vow and vocation, and that's God's will for you. When you're not in vocation, you don't have that kind of same clarity uh, to fall back on, but you still have the principles, the precepts of the church—
1: um, and I think just receiving your life circumstances, yeah. even when you're not, you know, I think a lot of the young people are stressing over. I, I don't know why I hear this a lot. I don't know why God is not, um, making my vocation happen. I don't know where he is with my vocation and all this talk about my vocation, my vocation. And I'm saying, what, if, what if your vocation is to be Faithful in prayer right now. What if your vocation is to be charitable at work or reach out to a neighbor? And that's great. (laughs) That brings me... (laughs) There's no position in your life where you cannot do the two commandments that Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. That's vocation. That brings me to my final point, my closing point, a
0: story of my own conversion, a board game conversion. Hey, Risk? I, <laughs> no, I had a friend uh, we'd play play some board games and uh, especially during COVID we kind of had a, a board game group meeting on Fridays and this friend we love playing the board games but he would always just kind of like kind of laugh at me he's like you're always end gaming from turn one you're already planning out the end <laughs> and how you're going to get the most points or whatever it is be in the best position to win at the end from the beginning you're already just that's your focus. And you never just enter into the game, uh, and he's like, "These games have awesome themes. I just wanna, you know, I just wanna enter into the theme and just yeah. enjoy, enjoy the evening." Yeah, enjoy the people around. And you, I was all just that. like, "Dude, that's so dumb. Games are for winning. Come on. If you don't win, it's it's a waste of your night. Uh, why would you have <laughs> spent two yeah. hours if you're if you're not trying to win?" And he's like, oh, "It's not that I'm not trying run to win. run so to win, uh, but you know, just kind of maybe play the game." <laughs> <laughs> and. I, I took that and that was like two years ago and then maybe three years ago now. And uh, last year or a year and a half ago, I'm playing some games and I realized I had a distinct point where I was like, I could try and just make this the most efficient path to victory and get the more victory points than my brother. Or I could enter into the theme of this game, which was like a red wall type, uh, you know, forest with animal creatures. And, oh, yeah. and I was like, or I could just enter into the theme of the game and enjoy The process of the game. The thought of a squirrel. And in the end, like me and my brother both had like insane amounts of victory points because we were both just playing for the fun of it. We weren't trying to like beat each other or make sure he didn't get the points. And I think he beat me by like two or three points, but it was a blast. And I call that my board game conversion because I entered into the moment Mm. of the game rather than already living in the future, whatever I thought the goal was, the end was.
1: And I think we can put all these intermediate. And the other piece of that is I will be happy when yeah, rather than I'm happy now.
0: Playing. Yeah. Which leaves us with what are the two moments that we have in our life? We have now mm. and we have eternity. Mm. So we do have the ultimate end, and that's the end that Paul's telling us about. Know your ultimate end. Know that your destination is to be a partaker in the divine life of God. God wants to bring you into his life that we will not even know, you know, who can know it, but we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Mm. That's the end. Yeah. We have now and then, and we want to put all these intermediate ends that are not yet as the end that we're focused on instead of being now. Yeah. United to that eternal end. And then our discernment can maybe start to fall into place. And I know that's like vague. Uh, I <laughs> and think it sounds that's a, a bit idealistic. Good example. Yeah. But I think... I think we want to put an intermediate end. So I want my vocation to be solved today. I want my career. I want uh, all of my virtues to be perfect, or perfected now rather than realizing we're living in the mess. And yeah. and I have stronger virtues here and, and virtues are one in a sense, but I might be stronger with this one and weaker with this one. And they're all kind of like strengthening each other or being weakened when I sin. Um, and there's just this, history and time that's
1: happening that I've got to ask God to keep coming into. And yeah. And providence is at work now. Mm -hmm. And in all this, there's a kind of a cliche that I like, and I like to think of and tell people to remind yourself, everything is as it's supposed to be right now. Everything is as it's supposed Mm. to be. Everything is within God's providence. So even like the limitations, the weaknesses, the, the traumas, the, failures everything works for the glory of God and in in providence and mm-hmm. of course it's not like i'm going to dig into my sins yeah but it's trust it's just recognizing god is here in my real life not in some yeah. imagined intermediary step like <laughs> imagine tomorrow it's like let's do it let's now yeah. let me surrender now and that brings me, I guess, one more last thing. That li-
0: a line from Homo Viator. Um, it's kind of a philosophical anthropology book. Mm-hmm. And uh, my freshman year roommate, Brett, Hart, Brett Harp, read this and just loved it. And so he would quote it all the time. And I loved it too. But it, the line was, vanity runs, love digs. Ooh. And so the idea of when, when a challenge or when something... Um, confronts us that's difficult or fearsome or boring or whatever it might be vanity will run seeking something something else, else, anything else. else. Love will dig in and love will remain. Mm. Love
1: will be still. Yeah. I love it. So this is a digression. (laughs) What is your favorite board game? Do you have one? Oh man, that's tough. Um. (laughs) We've been playing at the Rectory Uh, We play Ticket to Ride and Settlers of Catan And I feel like Settlers is kind of We've overplayed it to the point where I'm bored with it I'm glad you're there too I've been playing Settlers of Catan
0: I really haven't played much in the last 10 years Because I played so much in high school and college That I find it a very boring game I think Ticket to Ride, not to offend anybody who plays it Is like Adult Candyland i love it it's just a I bunch of like it, drawing Give cards it and easy then lollipop, lollipop land or whatever uh, <laughs> peppermint prince <laughs> so one of my favorite games of all time and this is gonna reveal me as a huge board game nerd is twilight imperium which is like a See, I don't massive know space exploration just a huge game it's an obscenely large game it takes like four to six hours to play you have to commit a day to it uh, i've played it three times in my life ah <laughs> uh, that's cool though um that's a great game. I love, there's some games like, uh, Scythe is a, a great, it's kind of like a steampunk art meets world war two kind of ah. Euro, you know, um, military and resource management game. Those are fun. Um, terraforming Mars is an excellent, excellent, uh, kind of engine building game. Yeah. And now I'm saying all these words, that, like two people are
1: understanding, but I, I do love board games. Hey, um, I get some of it. I mean, I'm I enjoy playing them. I'm not like a, I'm not like an expert. Like I could, yeah. I, I don't totally enjoy the period of learning all the rules, and that's yeah. necessary. And people do enjoy that. So I laugh I at myself
0: like sometimes. So you taught me Greek. Um, <laughs> it's hard for me to sit down and learn the rules of a language, mm. to be disciplined. But I'll sit down and read a rule book for a game to figure out the mechanics. and I'm, I'm I just like, love it. And I'm just trying to make that. i made that analogy myself. I I need to be better at reading the rules of grammar uh, for a language yeah. <laughs> like it's a game. And then you can play. And then you remember it, and, I can, and then I can play. <laughs> yeah,
1: hey, I like it. Of course, I <laughs> yeah. like that. So, Well, that's beautiful. I love that, the two... Especially the two poles, and that sort of reciprocity between wow. the being still and the running the race—it's cool. So, oh, any shout-outs this week? I do have shout-outs. I brought them this time, and I'm happy to shout out um, Isabella, Isabella Kumbalich, who's our new like what would I say? Kind of front desk um, evangelizer mm-hmm. at the at the cathedral. She. Um, organizes the marriage prep stuff and meets with the couples the first time and um, she is wonderful she's out of uh, christendom college and is probably the smartest most wonderful christendom graduate and oh next to johanna who also works (laughs) at that office oh um but a shout out to her she's a podcast fan from uh, for a long time and um, also her predecessor Max Beekler, <laughs> who is getting married soon and just love that kid he's very proud of him he's a big gamer and his fiance Mary Bade um, lovers of the podcast again so hope they're hearing this and know of my prayers and support um, Aaron Cotillon he went through the RCIA last year and has just become a friend um, at the parish and his fiance, and and then tonight I met at this missionaries of charity party. I met uh, Tony Bykirk. I got his name wrong about three times. Antonio. <laughs> he's from Nebraska, and um, he when he was in high school, his professor John Zack would ha- play Catholic stuff. You should know at the end of class, every <laughs> class, and um, it was a little entertainment maybe a little something to learn. And he said it had um, an influence on his choosing to be a missionary for Christ in the city wow. and hit the streets of Denver, loving the poor. So I'm just really proud of that and That's awesome. uh, proud of him. So, He must have been listening when the podcasts
0: were less than an hour and they could play him at the end of a class.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it was snippets. <laughs> just snippets.
0: Sure. Okay. Um, I'll shout out Brett Harp. Uh, he's yeah my roommate from freshman year. Um, need to call him actually so if you hear this give me a call what's up dude um, but yeah <laughs> thanks for your wisdom uh and your friendship he was one i told him uh, when i went to seminary he was like it's about time
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's like,
0: a friend it's like they know it's like i knew that when we were talking freshman year you're reading a priest is not his own and you'd like wake me up you're like dude you gotta you gotta hear this <laughs> um so yeah shout out to him good friend uh can i do an like an anti-shout out to bethany who texted um, Riley Helgo to to correct us on our last podcast? And by us, I mean me. Fact checker, <laughs> fact checker, Bethany. Um, no, she thanks corrected- a lot, Bethany. But <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not sure how to <laughs> no, throw she, feel no, on this fire. She, she corrected me on uh, mixing up the the Valar and the Maiar, and I'm not sure which way I flipped them because I didn't listen back to this the podcast. is, some this, is stuff. this was back in the Tolkien episode. Uh, we, I, I flipped the Maiar and the Valar in their order, um, so you're absolutely right. I was wrong, um, but the analogy that I was making still stands. So take that, uh, Bethany. Take that. <laughs> don't don't get send in straight. don't send in your your corrections and your fact checks just to get shouted out because I,
1: I won't do it again. <laughs> That's right, Bethany. How about no. that, Bethany? <laughs> Bethany? Still shouting you out, Bethany. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I got my experts. Um, Patrick Santino and Morgan Rogers who yeah. are my always oh, checking experience.
0: on you. Yeah. that's right Morgan's good so
1: no thanks thanks for listening Bethany
0: um, sorry for the error um, it's the first time we'll and the last right. time I'll ever make a
1: mistake it's the mylar yeah. of course <laughs> the malin malin the, malon, the Minars.
0: <laughs> uh yes, that's
1: all I've got for today hey thanks man God bless you everybody happy feast Mother Teresa